Having a deep-rooted passion for technology, information security, and problem solving, our next guest is shaping the future of data security and protecting sensitive personal data for communities around the world. Gabe Gums, Chief Innovation Officer at Spirian, joins us to discuss his vision for data privacy in the next decade and beyond, leading the way to a more secure and private tomorrow for us all. While together, Gabe shares actionable insights about information security, why he is excited about the opportunities to create a more secure data environment in the healthcare industry, and how you can get involved with his mission to reimagine how we meet today's data security and privacy challenges. Join us for this critical conversation as we continue to work together to move the healthcare industry forward. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Gabe. Welcome to our podcast. It's an honor to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to this very important conversation today, given your passion to make the digital world a safer place. But before we dive into all of this work and more, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Gabe, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and Spirian are building and delivering the most accurate data discovery and classification solutions on the planet to protect humanity. Yes, humanity by eliminating data privacy breaches. But first, I'm going to randomly select a question so we can get to know you. Ooh, what's one thing you love to do outside of your work experience? That one thing, that one hobby. I love to play chess. I probably play not less than three to five games a day on a regular basis and probably half a dozen to a dozen puzzles also. Okay, so we're going to get to the three to five per day. Who's that with or is it on the computer? How'd you fall in love with chess? You're the first chess player on the podcast, or at least that has talked about chess. The very first one. Wow. Fell in love with it. So I learned the moves many moons ago. It's probably around eight or so when I learned the moves and kind of, you know, learned how the pieces moved around the board and the basic rules. I was in my early 20s when I took some time during the summer. I'll tell the full story, actually. So this was tail end of the dot-com era. Some buddies and I had started a consultancy that was, you know, business was kind of getting a little slow, you know, things were going boom. And so, so I, you play chess. I, I spent that summer, not just <laughs> playing, but studying. So I would spend a couple hours a day reading and studying. And I lived in New York City at the time. And so there were a couple of awesome chess clubs and chess shops down by Washington Square, the infamous Washington Square with the chess hustlers. I was not one of them, but I'd go down there and I'd read and for a buck, an hour or two, you could play. And so I'd play all day. And I spent that summer getting good is basically it. I think at my height, I got up to about 1780, 90-ish rating for my fellow chess nerds out there. I've settled back down since then, though. 
I don't play nearly as much. Do you notice chess helping you in other aspects of life, whether it be business? Because I have a lot of friends that are talking about martial arts and what that does, that discipline in regards to some of the things, decision-making and strategy for business. Is chess the same thing for you? So that could have been my other answer because I spent about seven, eight years practicing Krav Maga also. But the answer to your question is yes, in a couple of ways. The first is I mentioned I also like doing chess puzzles. I do those literally daily as almost like mental calisthenics, right? That's kind of my wake the brain up, get the synapses going. Just kind of a bunch of jumping jacks. Those are my mental jumping jacks usually in the morning or sometimes in the middle of the day when you're just kind of mentally feeling sluggish. So it certainly helps me oftentimes to just recenter, refocus, which is a very important thing when attempting to think through more strategic things than just pounding away at something a bit more tactical. But then there's also in that period of time when I was learning to play, like really learning and studying the game. You may have heard the phrase, that guy, he can see five moves ahead. Or I hear there's a new Netflix thing. It's all the rage chess these days. I haven't watched it, but nonetheless, I've heard of it, right? So maybe folks have seen it and heard that phrase too. But the thing that's actually happening is you learn to recognize positions. And the more you play and the more you practice and the more you study positions, what you actually do is you learn to recognize them. And so you can recognize five, six, seven positions out. And that's genuinely helped me throughout my career in just kind of thinking about the recognition of patterns and being able to see things play out further down the board. Yes. Looking at it through that lens, it has been super helpful. I love it. I love it. Well, the first time we've ever talked about chess <laughs> on the podcast. So thank you for breaking that ice there you go. and <laughs> talking about your love for chess. Hey, I get it. Sometimes during the startup phase, you know, it can get a little slow. It can be a little lonely. So, you know, hey, pick up some chess. Why not? Pick up some so. chess. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your love of chess. And I'm looking forward to discussing your journey and mission at Spirion after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. With rising burnout, malpractice, digital and personal risks, clinicians face greater than a million dollar liability. And in today's climate, busy frontline healthcare workers don't have the capacity to attend to these risky blind spots. But the AdaptTrack team is bringing hope and solutions to the healthcare industry. AdaptTrack's mission is to help clinicians and their practice teams work and live better. AdaptTrack's 30-second nudges unlock Category 1 continuing medical education credits along with insurance savings while meeting the busy clinician where they are. On Clubhouse, during weekend nature walks, through all of helps, from this podcast, and over 3,000 additional work-life moments. To learn more about AdaptTrack and how you can engage in active learning that drives a 5x plus ROI, a 30x time savings, and an experience clinicians will love, head over to adapttrack.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Gabe Gums, Chief Innovation Officer at Spearian. Gabe, we were talking before starting to record this episode that we've both been in our own respective careers and industries for over 20 years now. Insane. I know. We got a lot to talk about. Obviously, you've been there. You've done that. You've probably bought several t-shirts along the way. You've dedicated your mission, your passion, and your service in your career to the InfoSec world. Obviously, a very, very important topic in healthcare. It is never going away either. This is something that's always top of mind for our decision makers in this industry. So give us a little bit of that journey of how you got to where you are today as a chief innovation officer at Spearing. You guys are doing wonderful things there. We'll also then talk a little bit future state. What should we be thinking about? What should we be contemplating in this space? What are you seeing on the horizon? As you know, healthcare is changing rapidly. It even started getting changed even faster during COVID. 
So a lot to unpack there as the industry and as the landscape changes so dramatically and rapidly for us. And of course, we'll ask how we can get involved to help you and help you and your team out and where we can find you online. But first, of course, Gabe, take us back. Give us a little bit of that 20-year history of how you got to where you are today. Well, you see, two keyboards really loved each other. And there was a mommy keyboard and a daddy keyboard. No, it's <laughs> a bad joke. <laughs> but it does go back fairly on the cusp of the internet becoming a bit more ubiquitous. So when I was young, I was lucky enough to have been exposed to technology pretty young. Even had some coding classes in high school and one coding class, in fact, not, not coding classes. And that love for technology was already sparked. By the time I went off and studied something that I thought was going to be decidedly not heavily technology related, namely mechanical engineering, I found out I was completely wrong. So it was kind of at that point where I started fully immersing myself further into technology. Spending most of my formative years in the Northeast area, I was very fortunate as well to have been surrounded by a super rich information security environment, right? Your audience may or may not be familiar with some of these things, but there were a lot of meetups and groups of technology folks that were just interested in Unix and Linux systems. So, you know, we had the NYLUG meetups and the New York Linux user groups. There were folks that were more interested in the hacking and fracking scene. And so you had the all 2600 meetups, things of that nature. There was a very, very rich and diverse technology and hacking and counterculture, technology counterculture scene where I grew up. And that led me into technology professionally. I spent the early part of that journey actually with a healthcare organization. So I worked for Pfizer for a number of years, a little over seven, I think, total. Was that the small little startup you were involved with while playing chess? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a small little outfit. Tiny little company over on 42nd Street there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just getting going, you know, just getting their feet under. Just getting going. So actually, I did about two stints there also, kind of came, did some work, left, came back kind of thing. So it was actually kind of in the middle of part of that where we decided we were going to go strike it rich on our own. As opposed to suckling from the teeth of big pharma, <laughs> as the case may have been. So yeah, I started in that environment in the networking side of the world and slowly transitioned into security, hadn't been recruited into one of those departments in that environment. I cut my teeth in big pharma and there were no shortage of experiences learned there. But one of the things that really kind of led to my current journey and path was we were program building in a way that wasn't just buying technology and slapping it in, there were components that we had to ideate and develop ourselves. There were some things we had to literally create whole cloth. And then, you know, we bought some technologies. And over the years, that architecting of security solutions led me to the solution developer, the solution provider side of the world, where I am now, where I build and provide those technological solutions to companies. So it's a process. And it has always been that 20-year journey has been one of exploration into problem space and understanding where the problems are and where people's problems are and how I can solve those with technology. And that led me away from corporate America, as I said, to kind of the startup founder world where I had some friends solving some application security problems there. And I was convinced to come on board and help them solve for those things. It was a problem space that I was heavily immersed in at the time. I was tasked with protecting some 1,200 or so web applications for said pharmaceutical company at the time too. So A lot of time spent understanding how that entire process and data lifecycle is affected, both on the building and the breaking side of it, which was really fascinating. But again, kind of having that hacker background, if you would, that white hat came natural to applying it to those transitions throughout my career. So that's where it led me. 
as a chief innovation officer, which it's different things in different environments. It's everything from being the head of product strategy and ideating, coming up with new differentiated ways to solve for problems, to just understanding our customers' journeys and helping them solve for those problems with our technology. And it's good to see companies just like Spirian starting to actually invest in that position, right? You're seeing more and more companies putting in position a chief innovation officer because you almost have to nowadays in order to stay current. Things are moving again so fast, right? But before we go there and talk a little bit about what that means to Spirian, I always love to ask, do you have that elevator pitch down for Spirian? You guys have been at it now since about 2006. And I know you've been there for some time now. Do you have the elevator pitch? And if so, bring it. So Spirian is the leader in data security and data privacy solutions. We solve for and protect what matters most. It starts and begins with the information lifecycle around your sensitive data, discovering accurately every single piece of sensitive data inside of your environment, everywhere it lives, understanding it, classifying it, enriching that data, putting the controls around it, and ensuring that you stay compliant throughout that entire data lifecycle from creation to destruction. You nailed it. I better had. I'm sure there's something in there I left at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your colleagues, I know they're going to be tuning in. That's, you better nailed it. So well done. And in regards to healthcare, right? We have an amazing community within the healthcare innovation space rallied around this podcast. Some of our best industry leaders tuning in, coming on the show, really dedicating themselves to moving the largest industry in our nation, healthcare, now over 20% of our GDP, as you probably know rallied around the podcast, as I mentioned. Gabe, in regards to your work and in regards to their positions in this industry and what they're working on, how important is this? What are you seeing? We'll talk a little future state of what's coming on the horizon. You know, we heard about a big data breach, you know, with Russia involved. And we could go and talk about that if you want. That was a big deal. But how big of an issue is this in healthcare? I know we talk a lot about HIPAA and patient privacy. I get that. But from your world, somebody that's been in it for now two plus decades, how big of an issue is this? And how are you guys going about solving it for healthcare as well? How big of an issue is it? Well, one person's going to put their hand on that elephant and describe the tail end of it and tell you that it stinks and it's kind of large. Someone else is going to put their hand on the tusk and tell you that they're just at the tip of it and they think it's solidifying underneath their hands and they kind of understand it. And I use that analogy because I don't know I can answer that question without introducing different angles at which this problem is going to come at all of us. But you mentioned, I'm sure your audience talks a ton about HIPAA. I tend to bring it up often because the current world I live in lives at the intersection of data security and data privacy. And it's an intersection where you cannot have data privacy without data security, but you can have data security without data privacy. Your audience has lived in that world since 1995 when HIPAA went into effect, right? And even before that, as you were getting ready even for that to come into play, 1995, that's a long time ago. That is a historically long time ago at this point. Now I really feel old, by the way, Mike. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I was like, wow, that's how long it's been around. It's amazing. And where we're at today is celebrating and championing and talking about GDPR and CCPA. It's like, yay, privacy. And your audience must be sitting around going, I'm sorry, what? What was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we know. We've been at that since like 95. You guys didn't. Hold my beer, please. Right, exactly. (laughs) It was inherently a privacy regulation. So the good news is your audience gets a lot of how big the problem is. And your audience is, they probably got their hands on the front end of the elephant on the tusk because they've been exploring that elephant for a while now. While there are a lot of folks in other industries that have just 
stepped up to the elephant and started putting their hands on it. For those folks, the problem is significant. It is now not enough that they have to be able to protect that information. And you were mentioning breaches. That protection is difficult in and of itself. But you also have to be able to enable that information to remain private, to preserve its privacy in all of its many functions. So if you gather data for the purpose of marketing to me, and that is the agreement that I signed up for when I filled out a form on your website or however you got that information, the purpose that you gather my information for has to be adhered to. You just have to keep it safe. You now have to make sure that your purpose is strictly defined. Otherwise, you will now have been violating the privacy of the use that I gave you that information for. This is old hat for HIPAA. This is old hat. This is so 1995 for HIPAA. So how big is the problem? Take everyone who's not been in your world for the last 25, 30 years and tell them that their 1995 is today. That's how big the problem is, right? They are that far behind the game. Now, for the folks that have been in this forever, my friends in the HIPAA world, there is a whole host of new challenges that they are now challenged with. 2020 was a very interesting year in particular because it was a big year for data sharing. We had that little plague thing, which spurred a lot of data sharing, especially between health organizations, right? So a lot of data moving about a lot of data sharing. It was also a census year. So there was a lot more data sharing there also. And I also happen to have a lot of customers who are both in the healthcare space, but also in the university space. So they have these big healthcare arms either within the universities where they do a lot of work with healthcare orgs as well too. And they have a lot of reporting that they have to do in 2020 brought on a lot of that as well, too. So there's this whole data sharing challenge beyond just portability that all of these new regulations are challenging. And then there's also a lot of digital healthcare companies trying to create more value for their shareholders and for ultimately, hopefully, their patients. And privacy-enhancing technology has completely swept through this landscape and has now introduced a number of challenges in how we are going to be able to adhere to these new regulations and apply the right controls with these pets, these PETs, privacy enhancing technologies, to the right data in the right places. We need to be able to share that information. And again, healthcare has been through this forever. De-anonymization attacks were first written about in the healthcare context probably 20 years ago, right? These are still issues that plague healthcare, but they're new to the rest of us now. But now there is this glut of privacy enhancing technologies because of regulations like GDPR and CCPA, that if you are a CIO or CTO of a healthcare company, you're probably looking at. And if not, you're probably thinking heavily about it. If you are the CIO or CTO of a company that creates products further downstream, a technology-enhanced organization, then you are likely thinking about or need to start thinking about what your privacy engineering practices look like. Do you have the best practices around minimization, hiding, separation, aggregation, forming control? enforcing and demonstrating all of those controls around data. Your world has just got hyper-complicated with the introduction of privacy-enhancing technologies. I'm not sure which of those two groups I would rather be in. I have both the pleasure and the pain of sitting in the middle of both of them. So (laughs) there was no short answer to that. And also, Gay, which is interesting, and I'll just say, a lot of people say HIPAA might be holding us back as an industry, right? And I don't know what that answer is. You're the pro, not me. But that opportunity for data to help empower the industry and the lack thereof with HIPAA 
is that something you've thought of or your thoughts there on is HIPAA holding healthcare back? And if so, how do we go about it, but still create a safe and secure environment? That sounds lazy. That's my gut reaction to that is that sounds lazy. It sounds lazy because Sox hasn't held back fintech. Dodd-Frank didn't hold back fintech. Now, I could certainly argue that fintech is a bit of a wild west anyway, and a lot of it is a whole lot of those controls are theater, but that's a different show. I'm almost positive that's not this show. But it feels lazy because differential privacy, again, as another privacy-enhancing technology, has made it past the theoretical and scholarly stage, and it has now reached the point of maturity where you can use a number of differential privacy approaches to being able to analyze data sets without violating privacy. So I love how you said that, Gabe. It does sound lazy. I couldn't agree with you more. You said it perfectly. But here's the issue. And I I say this a lot. (laughs) What's that? I I hope I didn't insult anyone, but I'm known for doing it. No, I think it's well said. And I think it sparks a good conversation for us to really be contemplating in this industry. Because one thing that I talk about a lot, what's holding us back in this industry, people are saying, well, what's one of our biggest threats in this or this or that in healthcare? Now you say it's usually two words, status quo. There it is. That's it. Right? Yeah, that's it. That's status quo. Status quo is the perseverance of laziness. There you go. Right? So like you said, since 95, this is how we've always been doing it, Gabe. I mean, what else can we do? This Why would is how we do it's it always, differently? We can't do it differently. This is how it's always been done. Right. So that's why I share that. And I love how you framed it up that it is lazy. I agree. And that's why we need to continue to bring innovative minds like yourself and others to really start thinking anew. We can do things differently here in healthcare. We can do them safely and we can do them right, but we can start thinking differently of how to get there. Yeah. You'll never know how far you can go if you just keep standing still there and just kind of going, throwing your hands up. We've tried nothing and we're all out of options. So true. (laughs) Yeah. So true. So what are you working on today being as a chief innovation? What's that mean? And more importantly, how would that impact the world of our community rallied around the podcast? What does that mean? Well, Spirion was originally founded as, as I mentioned, a data security company that hyper-focused on sensitive data. We started by identifying data types that are associated with people, right? So we didn't start with business data, intellectual property, and those types of things. We expanded out into that. But we began by looking for things like credit card numbers, social security numbers, driver's licenses, things that affect people, the things that matter most, going back to our tagline. And what we have done in the last few years is built on top of the security side of that with all of the privacy observing technologies and controls that were kind of just inherent in some of our data sets ready and expanded on it. So giving our customers the ability to not just locate that sensitive data everywhere it is, but have them be able to facilitate all of the privacy governing controls necessary around that data while also helping to protect it. So I've been up to kind of ideating and coming up with a lot of that over the last couple of years. And now that the amazing team behind me that has built all of that, now I'm out here finding more problems to solve with the technology we've built. So I've been spending a lot of time out in the field talking to customers and trying to get a real better understanding as the world reemerges out of its plague hiding, where the problems still are, where the new problems are. You're good for a year and a half pajama party? You're good? I mean, <laughs> I was good like a while ago. I know we needed the pajama party, but as these jammies are starting to stand up and walk around on their own. Yeah, I'm good. I'm here. <laughs> I just been buzzing my own. I don't even have a hairdo anymore. Yeah, I just, if, if you see me now and you see like my LinkedIn profile, it's it's I'm, like people's hairdos have gone 
on the opposite ends, opposite. it's either like right. way short right. or it's way long, right? right? There's right. no in between yeah, anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> and it's all reversed. If your hair was short before, it's long now. If it was long before, it's short now. It's right. so true. I mean, my hair is way short. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to do my hair if I had to. If it just like came and immediately grew back, I wouldn't even know how to do yeah, my hair anymore. Right. So. And you're right. We are luckily, hopefully, and like your previous employer, Pfizer, right? Led the way. We're getting jabs and arms and we are hopefully yeah. merging out of the pajama party and getting back to it. So you're spending time at the customer level hearing those problems. Yeah. What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing that work from home is still posing challenges that a lot of folks thought were going to be temporary and that has not gone away. There is a healthy percentage of the workforce that it will still take a while for them to transition back. There's still a lot of uncertainty around the plague itself, right? There's news that we may not hit herd immunity, maybe ever, right? So there's a lot of additional considerations. There's a lot of folks that live multi-generationally that those types of things are still going to impact their decisions on where they work from. There are a lot of companies that have realized that a hybrid model works a bit better for them in terms of both talent acquisition and retention. All of those things are highlighting that work from home wasn't as temporary as some may have thought it was. And so there are a lot of challenges around that. It's taken a lot of the problems that we saw centered around being able to, for example, again, just find and locate all this sensitive data to, well, we know for sure that we just sent all of it home on everyone's laptops. So it's out there now too. So it's really kind of a phrase we use around here often, that data sprawl, that data sprawl has gotten quite a bit worse. And that's happening at the same time, these controls are coming at us quite a bit harder. 108 countries all have some varying levels of data privacy regulation through some state of legislation at the moment, right? And some 28 states in this country from Virginia to California. So those things are happening all at the same time. And that's posing a lot of challenges for folks I talk to. The move to cloud has been a bit accelerated because of that. So there's these knock-on effects. I think most of us have long accepted that the cloud is not only the future, it is most certainly the present. But for some organizations, large and small, getting there wasn't immediately in the plans. But moving there now has been necessary just as a byproduct of the collaboration that needs to happen with a geographically diverse workforce. And so now that's also some heavy challenges that we're hearing about is these transitions to cloud are making it such that however you may have been architecting your solutions, whether you are, again, upstream or downstream in your offerings, those strategies are now being relooked at and or some of those things being accelerated. And then because the world I live in happens to be so data oriented, the questions always come back to, okay, we're going to accelerate our move to cloud. What data are we going to put there? What controls can we put around the data there? And so you mentioned, yeah, the world has changed. It has changed, I think, forever. Obviously, a lot has happened in the past 15 months with the pandemic. And then, of course, cooling a bit in regards to being able to hopefully get back out into society and whatever that looks like moving forward. As you mentioned, I agree, the hybrid model is here to stay. Actually, here at all of where I spend my full-time kind of day at, we are distributed across the nation. Right when the pandemic was breaking out, our CEO, Sean Lane, said, we're going to go to a grid model. It's actually advantageous for us. We're going to be able to hire anyone, anywhere and get the best talent we possibly can. And it's been paid off in huge dividends for us here, for our team here at Olive. But with that as well, when we think about healthcare, if we're taking it back to the industry itself, not only the workforce, as you mentioned, data sprawl, but also how and where we are going to be delivering care in the future has changed, right? So you Massive. saw 
massive spikes in telehealth because we had to through the pandemic. But then also what we're going to start seeing is, I've talked to a lot of my friends in the industry and I love how they frame it up is you got to meet the patient or meet the consumer where, where they want to be, right? Yeah. yeah, where they're at. Where and that, they're could at. Be, that could be delivering care in their own home, it wherever that be might be, right? At and the so, local grocery store at Publix. 100%. Which to bring this back to the problems, I walk by that and I think to myself, is Publix capable of protecting the data? I mean, I'm hoping sure that there's some other organization that's coming in. But now to your point, we're delivering healthcare in the grocery store, which is awesome. And we have been because there were like pharmacies, but now we've expanded that, right? And so with that, yeah, and Gabe, and like I said, also literally at the home, we're going to be monitoring patients. There's going to be a ton of data spinning off of that. And so as we start thinking future state, you're an expert in this space. What are one or three things that we should be keeping top of mind as we continue to move, try to move the healthcare industry forward? What are you seeing over the next two to three to five years that we should be really mindful of? The companies that are able to embrace the fundamentals of privacy engineering are going to be the ones that are going to be able to capitalize best on the opportunities of this rapid expansion because it will favor technology and it will favor the prepared. And because we will also continue to have this increased pressure of data privacy and security, that is not an if. Again, our friends on this show have been with us since 95. Because we'll continue to have those pressures, the folks that have adapted their technology stacks to be able to move rapidly, right? To consider to build in privacy by design as it's referenced in things like GDPR. But I'm talking about those fundamentals of privacy engineering, making sure that they are capable of being resilient in that manner. They'll be able to move fast and capitalize on this and we'll all come back to the data. It will 100% come back to the data. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, Gabe. Could not agree more with you. We have to be ready. These changes are coming. Matter of fact, they're not coming. They're here. And if you're not prepared for it, you're going to be walloped by it. So you better start building your boat before the tsunami gets to shore, right? And I can tell you for those that didn't hear the magic ML AI words, I am equally talking about the same. There is ML data engineering, and you will have to consider the fundamentals of privacy engineering in those practices as well. AI ML is most certainly the future also, but for the healthcare industry in particular, that's where my focus That's where all the data points that I've gathered in the field certainly aligning to. Thank you for sharing that. Well, we want to flip the script a little bit on you, Gabe. As I mentioned, we have some of the best minds in healthcare tuned in on the weekly here for the podcast. So with that, what's one problem need or question that you and your team have that we can be thinking about or contemplating? What's that one problem question or need for us? There's one. How are you prioritizing your problems right now? As I mentioned, as we come out of this, and I like your phrasing, the pajama party, the plague, as I call it, the pajama plague party. There we go. Good alliteration, the three Ps. There you go. (laughs) But as we come out of that, I really, really, really want to understand more about, again, the challenges that they're seeing there. What is different that was unexpected? Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. Of course, you will definitely get some feedback from the community. But in order to do that, we need to know where to be able to find you. Where are some contact points online, social media handles, websites, or otherwise? Where can we find you? Well, you can find Spearin at www.spearin.com. You can find me hanging out there in our blog sections also, posting my random rants and raves. You can find me on LinkedIn, Gabe Gums. On LinkedIn, you can also find me on Twitter. That's at Gabriel Gums on Twitter. 
Did I give my wrong LinkedIn also? Maybe. I had no fear. We're going to put it in the episode notes. You just click on through. I think there's like one of me on LinkedIn anyways. You'll find the Gabe Gums. And you're a podcast host. Don't be shy. That's right. You can also find myself and Cameron Ivy hanging out at Privacy Please Podcast. You can find us wherever you subscribe to this show. You can find us right alongside it. So after you hit the like and subscribe to this show here, go ahead and find yourself on down to Privacy Please Podcast, where we do talk all things privacy and security. And we've had a number of conversations that I think are quite relevant to the healthcare space, including a lot of those privacy enhancing technologies that are up and coming. So come on. I love it. Well, we'll include all of those contact points online, including a link to the podcast. So you can go on over there, like and subscribe as well to get our community to head over there and check you out again. Over there, we will be able to find you. Just head on down to the episode notes, click on through. Also, we'll have a post for this episode over in our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com, where there'll be a post for this episode where you can also leave comments, feedback, suggestions, or otherwise for Gabe and the team, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Gabe, well, hopefully too, we'll go check out your blog. Have you blogged about chess yet? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, have you blogged about chess yet? It has been many, many years since I've done that. I'm just going to show more of my inner nerd. I wrote a chess bot years ago that ran on the US Chess Live platform. And so I wrote about the experience of building that bot and what I learned over that course. It's wow, you just took me back. I've not written about chess and moons. I'm just saying, if you need some content for the blog over on the Spirian site, you'll blog about some chess. I'll figure out how to work that into the topic. I like it. Well, when you do send it on over, we'll get it into the socials over here as well. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We're going to wrap it up here, Gabe, but we have one more to finish this out. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because people matter. Because people actually matter. And privacy and security have one thing in common. And it's people. It's yourself. It's myself. Every time you hear of a data breach, it's an actual person that's affected. And that's why I am. I love it. Well, Gabe, thank you so much for taking a pit stop today on the podcast. So great to have your perspective, your expertise and leadership for our community. And thank you for everything that you and the Spirian team are doing. We look forward to continue to hear your updates. Don't be shy. Maybe bring you back for a future episode as well. But for now, thank you so much for being with us today. We do appreciate it. Mike, thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.